Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining us and uh, for this q and I'm so excited to be able to break this down. It is our CELA week, CELA week, however you want to say yeah, it. One of those two pronunciations if you, if you is look, correct. If you look on Google, it's just, it, it says it so many it's different ways. Yep. Like a, so it's either CELA or CELA. Um, my which name means, is, Josh. Which, which means, means rest. Yeah, there you go. Rest. Pause. Pause. See in the book of Psalms. Yep, that's right. So, um, but my name is Josh. I'm a youth pastor here. This is Dave. Dave, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks, Josh. Good, good. We are very excited to be able to tackle and dive into your questions today. Um, We have a big uh, collection of questions from... (laughs) Every message that we've done in this series, and oh, then a couple great. that are outside of it. Oh, okay. So, yes. This is going to be a very fun Q and A. So I really encourage you to stick through this entire thing because we're going to be hitting multiple different topics. Every single question, kind of a smorgasbord, so, if yeah, you will. This is, of questions. This is going to be a lot of fun. This is going to be a lot cool. of fun. Well, Dave, are you ready to hop into this? I'm ready. Josh. All right, let's do it. This is a fun question. I always like questions. I like starting that this way. Is, yeah. So here we go. So this person says, thank you for answering my question last week. Well, you're welcome. We're not sure exactly what question it was, (laughs) but we're so glad we were able to answer your question. Um, This person said, I recently got a Bible, and I wanted to know where I should start in it. And I love seeing you guys on Sunday. Well, we love seeing Uh, you too. Absolutely. Whoever you are. Yeah. We love seeing you. Yes. Um, First of all, congrats on getting a Bible. That's fantastic. That's a great step to go. Um, So, okay, let, let, let let me suggest a couple of things. Um, first, I don't know what version of the Bible that this person yeah. got, uh, but one of the things that we recommend is that people get a, a version of the Bible. This confuses some people because there are different, ver- they call them versions or translations. Like uh, all they are is a different approach to translating the original text. So they might out sound a little different, but they all say the same thing. So it's not like versions like that says a different thing than this right. one says, right? Sort of a thing. And we always recommend translations that have a nice balance between being readable, so I can read it and understand it, and accurate, yeah. obvious. So we recommend the new international version primarily. The NIV. The NIV, thank you for Josh, that's exactly right. And then we also recommend on the little more readable end of things, the New Living Translation. Um, The NLT. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then um, we also recommend the English Standard Version. The ESV. There you go. That's the one I read out of. Is that the one you use? Uh, It's currently the one I'm reading out of. I switch them up every every few months. it's, uh, It's got a higher reading level attached to it. Um, but, um, it, it also really strives for a high degree of accuracy. So those versions are great. For, and that's not all of the good ones, but those are the ones that we predominantly move people toward. Um, I would also suggest that your approach to reading the Bible is important. Don't worry about, this may sound weird. Don't worry about understanding everything you read. I don't understand everything I read when, when I go through the Bible, um, so my suggestion is, is that you just read with an impressible heart. Read, and then when something just grabs your attention, captures your heart, gives rise to questions, makes you pause, pause and, and reflect and, and think about that right there. And then talk to God about it. Mm-hmm. Um, when, we're, when we're having our devotion time, which is short Christianese, but it's time we devote to God in order to increase our devotion to him. We want to make it interactive. So God speaks to us through his word. We speak to God in prayer. So talk to God about those things that impress your heart. Then find a way to make notes in your Bible, underline, mark up your Bible, however you do it, digitally, whether you have a hard copy of it, mark it up, put notes in there. Uh, that's just, I think, a good good way to go. Uh, I often recommend that people just find a good reading plan. Yep. version, which is a digital version of the Bible has lots of great reading plans. You can find a good reading plan and then just read in your hard copy of the Bible. Outstanding. I know many people that do that. If you just want to dive in somewhere, I always say start in the Gospels, mm-hmm. the four accounts of the life of Jesus. These are these are four different people who um, share their their perspective of Jesus' life. So in many cases, they say the same things. Sometimes they say the same thing, but they give a different slant on it. Sometimes one will include something, something else won't. But it gives you the holistic view of the life of Jesus. Read, read one of the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, 
here's what Jesus said. Here's what Jesus did. Always a great place to start. Book of Acts is helpful. After Jesus left, what was the church doing? I also like um, going to the book of Proverbs or James, which is kind of the Proverbs of the New Testament, just principles for practical living. Those are great places to dive in when you're new in Bible reading. Yeah. And my personal favorite gospel is the book of Matthew. Okay. Because you get to start off with a really fun genealogy, and you can read it going, can I pronounce all these names? (laughs) It's a whole lot of fun. (laughs) And I also really like the book of Luke, too. I I really like all of them, so I can say that for for all. But the book of Luke is very cool with how it ties in John the Baptist at the very beginning, and it it really shows how he's going to prepare the way for Jesus. Absolutely. And his unique perspective. A nice uh, approach is to read the Gospel of Luke, then read Acts, because Luke wrote Acts as well, so you kind of get his whole train of thought and research and experience from the very beginning, um, right before the time of Jesus, all the way up through the, you know, the last biblically recorded history of the church. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So that's where you can start. One of the gospels, Acts, Proverbs, or James. Dig in, have so fun. Dig in. It's a awesome. lot of fun. Um, and we're here to answer any of your questions. So bring them on, <laughs> bring them on. All right. We're diving into the next one. And this one, I have my handy dandy piece of paper because this is a very long question. Okay. That does not all okay. fit on the screen. Yep. Okay. So I'm going to start. <clears throat> This person says, I fear I may be a walking contradiction on the topic of legal abortion. Please help me find clarity and let me know if my thinking is misguided. I am pro-life. I believe life begins at conception, and we have a responsibility to honor and protect it. I believe we also have a responsibility to support vulnerable women facing unwanted pregnancies Mm -hmm. and help them make a different choice. I have personally chosen to do this through regular support of alternatives of Kalamazoo. Here's the tricky part for me. Politically, I lean more pro-choice because I also believe that women will continue to seek abortion as a solution to an unwanted pregnancy regardless of its legal status or moral implications. Mm. My concern is that many women could end up in a dangerous situation if procedures are illegal and not regulated. Then there are extreme cases of abuse. The one that always gets me, especially as girls are menstruating at a historically younger age, Mm -hmm. is what if my 10 or 11-year-old daughter is raped and becomes pregnant? I can't imagine putting her tiny body through the difficulty of pregnancy and delivery, and honestly, I'm not sure what my choice would be in that situation, Mm -hmm. but I would consider abortion to protect her health and safety. And then this is kind of like the wrap-up question, but I know we're going to address each part of this whole thing. Okay. It says, as a Christian, is it possible to hold beliefs that abortion should remain legal and highly regulated as a public safety measure and understand that we have a responsibility to intervene, disciple, and help women make a different choice? That mm. is right there up on the okay. screen if you yeah. need that part. Uh, wow. I, I feel like I need another drink of coffee after, yeah. after all of that. That, that, one, that one's a big question. Whoever, whoever typed all of this out, thank you for submitting it, for helping us to understand what you are thinking yes. in your mind, because this just helps us tackle um, this question even better. Ab- so absolutely. You. That yeah. gives us some context so that we can better yeah. understand where, where the person is coming from. Uh, here, hearing you read that, Josh, the first thing is I, I, I feel the tension that this person feels. Yeah. It is, it is a legitimate tension to feel because these are very difficult, life-altering, um, emotionally traumatic, physically traumatic experiences that we're talking about. So I, uh, man, I feel, I feel that tension. Yeah. So let's, let's break down the two, the two issues at least in the way I, I, as I, as I heard you read that two issues and and let's address issues and then let's see if I I can't provide my perspective on the answer to the final question. The first issue has to do with, um, it's a it's a compassion issue. And that is that since some women are going to seek an abortion even if the abortion is illegal, even they're going to do it anyway. For the welfare of the women who are going to do it anyway, should we keep abortion legal so that that woman's life is not put in jeopardy? 
And that's it. That's comes from a compassionate place, right? That's a good thing. In fact, compassion is essential to be factored into the overall equation. So it's, it's, um, so let, let, let me begin by addressing that here. It's a common argument um, on those that are pro-choice that in these situations, we don't want to force women into dangerous situations, so we need to keep it legal for their particular sake. So here's, here's, here's how, what I would, 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 my first question, and that is, does the preborn child deserve any compassion as well? We're not talking about one person, we're talking about two. And the preborn child is the most powerless person. Right. The preborn child is the one that can't speak up for itself. If we were to say um, abortion, because this is what the Bible would teach, um, an abortion is the terminating of an innocent, preborn human person. But since some people are going to end the life of a preborn human person anyway, let's make it as safe as possible. I, I find that to be inherently contradictory. If there was a newborn, would we say, look, you know what? Mothers shouldn't end the life of their newborn baby. We all know that. We would all agree with that. But you know, raising a baby is hard. It's financially, physically taxing. It's emotionally exhausting. Some moms are going to want to terminate the life of their baby. Will we go, well, in those cases, since some might do it anyway, let's make it as safe as possible to get that done. We would go, no, that's not right. There are other options for you. And there are other options that would be available. So if a fetus is what the Bible teaches, which is a living human person. And terminating the life of a living human person is wrong. Then we shouldn't be doing anything to accommodate people who go, well, I'm going to do it anyway. I believe that that is an immoral and unethical way to go. So let's talk about what then true compassion for the mother of the crisis pregnancy and the innocent preborn human person living inside of that. It would be completely unchristian to simply say, well, you know what? It's wrong to have an abortion, so good luck with that. That's thoroughly non-Christian. Right. But the Christian approach would be, I want to show compassion for both the mom and the baby. I want to support emotionally, psychologically, financially, physically, the mom through the situation. I want to be there when the child is born. I want to help in whatever way that I can with either the child being placed in adoption or if the mom chooses to keep the baby, to actually raise and keep the baby. It is support for both all along the way. It's making sure that there's good pre- natal medical care provided for the mom and for the baby both. That's a holistic way of being compassionate to both people that are involved in this crisis pregnancy. The second issue that this person raised, man, I, I don't know if it gets much harder than the one that this person raised. Yeah. Rape is and horrific crime that, as I, I believe I stated in last week's Q&A, needs to be reported, and they're underreported, Josh. They need to be reported. Absolutely. Women need to be encouraged to always report it when it happens. It needs to be investigated seriously and thoroughly, and if convicted, a person needs to pay the proper penalty commensurate with a unspeakable crime. Yeah. Um, so that, I just want to make sure that, that we say, say that again. Um, I'm, I have four younger sisters. I have two daughters. I feel the tension in this person's question. I look at my two girls. I remember very clearly when they were 10, 11, and 12 years old. And I, I, I want to think, 
what would I do if I were in the situation that this person presented, this horrific scenario? As a committed follower of Jesus who believes that his word guides us in the healthiest of ways, that obedience to his word leads to the best outcomes, even in very difficult circumstances, what I would hope is I would hope that I would shepherd my daughter, I would direct my daughter, I would guide my daughter in ways where Jesus is guiding us. Proverbs tells us there's a way that seems right to human beings, but it ends in death. Which is why we're also told in Proverbs that we're not to lean on our own understanding, what makes sense to us, but that we're to acknowledge God and his ways and, and follow his paths that he leads out for us. So that's what I hope that I would do with all of my emotion. That means, first of all, what I would hope I would do is I would fight hard for my daughter have the proper self-image, that she has done nothing wrong, that she is innocent, that she is pure and precious in the sight of God, that there is an amazing future that God has mapped out for her and nothing that's ever happened to her could ever alter that reality, that she is good and precious in God's sight, in our sight, that she would be a woman that is always able to hold her head high while she keeps her heart humble before Jesus. I would ensure that she gets the very best of medical care. I personally would seek out medical care from people that at least respect our pro-life position. If my daughter's life were in serious jeopardy, which could very well be at that young of age, if my daughter's life is in serious jeopardy, then I would refer back to what we talked about in last week's Q&A. And that is, it's better to save one life than lose two if that's really the situation, better to save one life than lose two. And I would totally abide by, by that principle. I would also make sure that she got the best um, medical care along the way at every step along the way. I would, I hope, actually, here's what I think. I think I would probably go to bed every single night sobbing. My heart would be utterly crushed, Josh. But I hope I would wake, every, wake up every single morning believing that God is bigger than the pain, that he's bigger than the confusion, that he's bigger than the trauma. I would try to, to teach my daughter that every single human life matters because they're human beings. And that includes the little life inside of her. I think I would teach her that loving people, including the most powerless people, is almost always inconvenient and requires sacrifice. Mm -hmm. But this is what love compels us to do. Yeah. I would teach my daughter to be... I would remind my daughter that she is going to be a vehicle through which a human being comes into the world that matters to God and that God has an incredible purpose for and she is giving a gift to the world because this little one is an innocent living human person. And I would teach my daughter that God is going to do something through this situation that is so amazing that we will look back on it from the perspective of eternity, Josh, and go, now I know why. Now I see the unbelievable good yeah. that God brought into the world through this incredibly tragic circumstance. I want my daughter to know that when bad things happen, that God is bigger than the bad thing that happened, and he will be a God that will bring unimaginable good out of the worst circumstances if we just stay humble and obedient to him. I hope that's what I would do because I think that's a God-honoring way, a Jesus-teaching, directed way to be able to handle this horrific situation. Yeah. 
So, so the question, <laughs> is it possible to hold beliefs that abortion should remain legal and highly regulated as a public safety measure and understand that we have responsibility to intervene, disciple, and help women make a different choice? Yes. Yes, in that abortion being legal and highly regulated so that it is available to women whose life is in serious jeopardy if they continue with the pregnancy. And yes to having a love-driven responsibility, Josh, to intervene, disciple, and help women make a different choice. So defined that way, is it possible to hold both? Absolutely. Yeah, and, and just to to say it again because it's so important, the uh, the the life threatening is is actual medical things. It's not because of financial reasons exactly. or, or anything like that. It is genuinely like this this woman could lose her life. That's correct, Josh. Thank thank you for saying yeah. that. All births are physically, financially, yeah. emotionally, relationally taxing and difficult. And those reasons aren't reasons for ending the life of a preborn living human person. But in that rare but possible scenario, particularly on a very young age, where the life of the mother's in jeopardy, then yes, better to save one than, yeah. than lose two. So Absolutely. thank you for that clarification. Yeah, of course. Um, before we move on to the next question, one of the things I want to <clears throat> dive into, because I do know that we have people from all across the country that listen to this, not just in our area here right, in Michigan. Right. Um, the person in this question said, I have personally chosen to do this through regular support of alternatives of Calvinism. Beautiful. Do you yeah. mind just explaining what that is to people who might have no idea what we're talking oh, about? Oh, sure. Um, alternatives of Kalamazoo is one of those crisis pregnancy centers that are there to walk beside women with a crisis pregnancy, an unwanted pregnancy that puts them in significant, uh, that, 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 that puts them in a category where there is, is more significant hardship they would face than normal in, in uh, becoming pregnant and giving birth. And they walk beside them to counsel them, give them physical support, give them financial support, help them through the birth process. So they provide that compassion every step along the way for both yeah. the preborn and the woman. So it's a crisis pregnancy center. There are others that are available in our area, um, uh, like Three Rivers Pregnancy, um, Crisis Pregnancy Helpline uh, is, is another um, excellent one. Bethany Christian Services. No matter where you live, in all likelihood, there is a crisis pregnancy center in your area that you could support like this person beautifully right. does. So I would just do some research and find one and at least get on the mailing list and say in the know yeah. and then help them when they have drives for needs to help women in crisis sure. pregnancies. For sure. Awesome. Thank you for, for breaking that down. All right. I know for this next one, Dave, you're going to need your handy dandy iPad. Oh, okay. Right okay. You're joining the iPad club. <laughs> Or the cool kids that Hopefully I'll use my, my my finger better than you did when hey, we first started Steve, this, Josh. Steve gave me my training <laughs> lesson, and I am the best iPad slide clicker that this show's ever seen. You, you are now. <laughs> no question. <laughs> All right. This question is, um, you have thrown around a lot of statistics around the subject of abortion. If you go back to last week's Q&A, you can go hear all those statistics if you're wondering exactly what they are. Um, this person said, I would love if there was a place where we could see the sources of information for these sites. I have tried to look up and get similar information for the stats you have given, both in service and the Q&A, and have trouble matching your numbers. Uh, one of the things I do want to say before I let you dive in, yes. if you have the deconstruction book or you can go to my3c.org, you can click the more tab and you can scroll down deconstruction part two. Um, for every single message that gave gave that Dave will be giving <laughs> during this series at the very end of the week in that booklet, there is a thing that is full of resources where he has potentially pulled some of these, these numbers yes. or mm -hmm. where he's created some of this content from, whether it's a book, a website, a podcast, a video, um, they are in this book. So if you hear something in the message, there's a very, very good chance that you can find it in the resources yeah. tab yeah. on this book. Yeah. So anyways, Dave, take it away. Good, good, good. That's, that's excellent. Josh. I appreciate you taking time to point that out. Um, first, I found that finding statistics to be a 
very challenging task when it comes to some of the matters that we addressed. And that's because as I was, particularly as I was on government websites, um, the numbers regarding things like um, um, pregnancies because of rape or incest, preg- uh, 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 abortions because of the health of the mother or uh, severe abnormalities in a fetus um, are done by guesstimates. Now, that's not sloppy. We, we use this a lot. So what, what I found when I, I, I attempted to find how do they come up with the numbers that they do, it, they use equations that kind of go like this. And that is, um, in a single sexual encounter, your, your odds of getting pregnant are X. Um, there are then Y number of women who, who are raped and get pregnant because of rape. So we can assume that since in a single sexual encounter, X percentage of women get pregnant, then in this many reported rapes, X number of those women got pregnant, and that's how they kind of arrive at their number. What they also do, Josh, is they go, and by the way, this is tragic, and I, I, I want to take the little energy of my life and go, we need to change this. Only 40% or a little less of rapes are reported. Um, And again, that's tragic. They all should be reported. I understand the dynamics involved, at least to a certain degree. So what they also do is go, okay, so it's underreported by 60%. So we're going to then increase by 60% the number we arrived at. So it's not like irrational. It's not just like sloppy stuff, but it's a guesstimation. Yeah. Um, of of how many that there are. So what I wanted to try to do is to go, are there any studies, any statistics that move beyond guesstimates and and actually have firmer data on what happens? So here's here's what I here's what I said, and I believe this is what our, our questioner is referring to. What I what I stated is is that I found two studies um that when you, that actually dealt with asking women who've had abortions, why the abortion was performed. So it was a survey where women had the opportunity to be able to say, this is why I did what I did. In those two studies, I said on the average between the two, 1% were due to rape and incest. 1% of abortions were due to rape and incest. 2% of abortions were because of problems with the baby. And 3% was due to the health of the mother. That means, I said, that that 6% total in those categories, meaning 94% were elective. And that's on average between the two. That's on average between the two. So here are those two studies. And I I got this out because I I couldn't rely on the fact I was going to remember these exactly, okay? In a USA Today article, not exactly conservative uh, publication, a USA Today article in May of 2019 quoted the Guttmacher Institute's findings. That's G-U-T-T-M-A-C-H-E-R. And I then went back to the Institute on abortions. And here's what they found in this particular survey of women who had had abortions. Less than 1.5% were because of rape or or incest. 3% was because of fetal health. 4% because of mother's health. That wasn't necessarily mother's life was in jeopardy, but it could be that there could be uh, physical damage to the mom. So that was all put together, and that was 4%. The second one that I found dealing with actual women reporting on why they had abortions was from the, the state of Florida is the only state that records abortions by trimester and reason. All right? In 2021, here were the stats. Rape and incest accounted for 0.001% of abortions. Health of the fetus, 0.01% of abortions. And health of the mother, 0.02% of abortions. Way less than the Guttmacher Institute. So when I said 1% due to rape and incest, 2% due to the problems with the baby, and 3% the health of the mother... 
That's actually not the average between the two. That's weighting Guttmacher more and bumping the numbers up a little bit. But those are the two sources that I could find in all the research that I did that actually dealt with not guesstimates, but actual reporting of women that, that had an abortion. Um, I also found, and I didn't, I did not mention this in, in messenger Q and a that the world population review also does studies and they stated that 1% of all abortions are because of rape and incest. The Charlotte Lozier Institute, that's L-O-Z-I-E-R, released a report in 2023 that I also didn't cite, but here's what they found in their research. Um, abortions because of rape and incest, three-tenths of 1%. Risk to the women's life or major bodily function, two-tenths of 1%. Other physical health concerns, 2.5%. Abnormalities of the, of the unborn baby, 1.3%, meaning according to their surveys, elective and unspecified reasons were 95.7% of all abortions. So that's where I got the information. There's a couple of other organizations that also have done studies that reiterate the same, particularly when it comes to how many, how many abortions are because of rape and incest, yeah. and it's all 1%. Uh, and this is Christian, largely non-Christian, just people that, that are doing the research. I also stated, and I believe this is the other factor that I, I needed to be clear on, um, that I said that there were two studies that were also done that followed up on women who had had abortions. And I stated there that 70% kept the baby. 30% of those women went on to have an abortion. I further stated that of the 30% that had abortions, 78% of those regretted it and would have chosen differently. And then stated that of the 70% that actually had the baby, some keeping it, some giving up for adoption, none of them said they wish they'd made a different decision. So where did that information came, come from? There's a book called Victims and Victors, speaking out about their pregnancies, abortions, and children resulting from sexual assault. It was published by Acorn Books. This book was written by um, David Reardon and Julie Makama, that's M-A-K-I-M-A-A, and Amy Sobe, S-O-B-I-E. This book is the research that they did in following up with victims to come up with these numbers. These numbers are also reported in a book called New Perspectives on Human Abortion by Hilgers, H-I-L-G-E-R-S, Horn, H-O-R-N, and Mall, M-A-L-L. Same statistics, same, same, same studies. When it comes to, uh, that had to do with uh, women that kept their babies. In the ones that dealt with how did you feel about it afterwards, that was um, from a study conducted by Sandra McCorn, M-A-H-K-O-R-N, medical doctor, and William Dolan, D-O-L-A-N, also a medical doctor. They're the ones that did the follow-up study that reported that they're, that they're of the 70%, none regretted it, of the 30%, 78% did. So those were the primary sources and studies behind those stats that I shared. Yeah, thank you so much for diving into that. Um, one thing, whenever you're looking at these studies, that can be really easy to forget because we just go and we're like, all right, let me see the numbers, is why these studies can be a little skewed. Like one might say 1.3%, another one might say 1.7% is because of the number of people that they are surveying might be different, mm -hmm. which will slightly change those percentages. So whenever you're looking at research, I just encourage you, make sure you go, okay, they, they surveyed 1,200 people and this one surveyed 2,500 people because right. there might be just little changes in there just because of the number of people that are being surveyed. A absolutely correct. And it's, it's – um Here's the easiest thing to do, and I, I want everyone to be aware that I was aware of this. The easiest thing to do is to find stats that most confirm what you want to be true and just use them. Mm. I searched way more secular, governmental statistics than I did Christian research statistics 
because I wanted to see what the overall picture was. I was also very interested in finding the most firsthand information that I could. Now, Josh, I'm a pastor. I'm, I'm not a, 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 a medical doctor. Right. right? Um, so I, I'm, I'm, I, I want to acknowledge the limitations I have, yeah. but I did want to make sure that I did my due diligence in doing my research Absolutely. to be able to report fair statistics that were as firsthand as possible to help get a picture of the realities. The stats can support a position or they can enlighten us to a reality. The Bible needs to inform any follower of Jesus as to what is morally and ethically true. Absolutely. And I want to encourage everybody, if you haven't had the chance, to go back a couple of weeks and go listen to the the message on abortion because a lot of the resources that you did use in that were more very much pro-choice, all, all of that. Mm-hmm. Like it was it was resources that we would say we don't necessarily 100% agree with here. So Correct. Yeah. So I highly encourage you to go listen to that message if you haven't already. Um, and remember, if you have a deconstruction book, at the very end of each week, there are all the resources that are being used and the, the messages that we've already done and the messages that are coming up. So Dave, thank you for sharing all of those. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Absolutely. Good question. Happy to share my research with people because, you know, they want, they want to know for sure. They Absolutely. want to dig deeper. Love those kinds for of sure. questions. And one of the things I also want to remind you of is the beautiful thing about this being live stream is that when it's over, you can go back and listen to it and you can play and pause and you can skip around. So if you're like, I did not hear how he spelt that and it's not letting me back up. Well, whenever this is all done, you can click back on it and you can back up and you can listen to all of Dave. If you're on YouTube, I know that you can also slow it down, the playback speed to be able to really hear each letter that you're saying. Um, so you will be able to play back and, and, and hear exactly what he shared so you'll be able to go and find it easier all right dave ready to dive maybe me one? at a slower speed is a better cadence to listen to me anyway maybe maybe it is except I for tend if to you speak say, a little fast except if you say sex. <laughs> oh no jo- that's creepy josh <laughs> that's how you like to say it sometimes dave we give him a hard time every time he's going to do a message about that i think steve's over there laughing steve he understands he, he gets it so all right let's move on to the next question so being a church that is very pro-woman, in what ways do you include women of the church in any of your church decision-making, considering there is currently no women on staff besides spouses? Okay. And spouses aren't technically on staff, even though they, they have a fair degree of influence over the staff members. <laughs> <laughs> they do. <laughs> <clears throat> so um, well, I'm grateful for this question because it gives me an opportunity to be able to just give an overview of the leadership structure at Connections Community Church. Not the kind of thing that we normally talk about. Right. Our church has three senior leadership teams. We have a pastoral staff. The primary responsibility of the pastoral staff is equipping God's people to do God's work in the church and in the world. So that comes by teaching them, training them, organizing them, deploying them, supporting them. That's what the pastoral staff does. They are responsible for the day-to-day operations of us as a church. We shepherd the church family. We also, by the way, believe that the Scripture commends that there be one member of that pastoral staff that serves as the senior leader who has the primary responsibility for overseeing everything. The second group, the second leadership group um, is the board of elders. Um, The board of elders is responsible for safeguarding the church. They safeguard the doctrine of the church. Their job is to make sure that what we teach is truly biblical. They safeguard the reputation of the church. Are the things that we're doing or how we as leaders are living, does it enhance the testimony of of people in the community? Um, So they safeguard the reputation of the church. They safeguard the unity of the church. When there are internal conflicts, their job is to step up and and to help help us in, in regards to those sorts of things. The board of elders also serves as Uh, counselors and advisors to the senior pastor. So they speak into it. Um, And, and so they serve a very, very important role. 
Um, everybody in our church is accountable to one person. Ultimately, everybody in the church is accountable to me. The only person, the the only person not accountable to just one person is me. I'm accountable to the board of elders, and the board of elders can fire me. Okay. Um, if they deem that I was acting out of line or not qualified to serve in, in, in that capacity. So that's the Board of Elders' second senior leadership team. The third are the Board of Deacons. And the Board of Deacons, they oversee the care of the poor and needy inside our church community. Mm-hmm. We have a special obligation, the Bible teaches, to care for those inside of our local community of faith who happen to be struggling with particular issues. And they're the ones that mobilize the spiritual, emotional, financial support, yeah. physical support of people in that category. We also have another group that's not taught in the Bible, but is still a leadership capacity, and that's our finance committee. They're responsible for instilling a spirit of generosity at Connections Community Church, primarily through financial direction, uh, through financial accountability, uh, and financial transparency, okay? So that's what they do. So those are our, our senior leadership teams. Here is how women are represented on those leadership teams. Uh, currently, our pastoral staff, um, we have one part-time interim children's ministry director who, because she's very giving, uh, and her job is flexible, even though she has a full-time job, is coming to our staff meetings mm-hmm. so that she can have a voice in evaluating everything we do, planning everything going forward so she can speak into that. When it comes to our elder board, Kathy DeMott, who leads our women's ministry, is also a, an elder, and she speaks into all the matters that per- pertain to leading as elders. When it comes to our deacons, Right now, all of our deacons are actually married couples. And so we have uh, Bev Arndt. We have Doris Brubaker. um, We have uh, Colleen Rand. We have um, uh, Sherry Henschel. And we have Kathleen um, Marvin. And and they're beautiful husbands who all serve together on on our board of deacons. So we've got half of them are women speaking in on that particular leadership team. And on our finance committee, we have two women. We have Margaret Landrum, who's our treasurer also, um, and Andrea Kidney. So every single one of our senior leadership teams that give important avenues of direction and guidance to Connection Community Church are currently have women representing there. We don't... This might be important to say, so let me take the opportunity to do it. When we're we're putting someone on one of these senior leadership teams, the first and foremost criterion is, do they meet the biblical qualifications? 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, very clear that there's a level of spiritual maturity, a level of character development, uh, a, a, a level of a biblical understanding required of anyone to serve in senior leadership positions of the church. So it's like, are they qualified? Do they demonstrate leadership capability? Do they, um, have they demonstrated faithfulness to our church family over time as well as to the Lord and his purposes? So that's the first thing we look for. We're not looking for a man. We're not looking for a woman. If we end up with equally qualified candidates, then what we'll do is go, which one would bring better gender balance to this particular team? So it's a, it's a subsidiary uh, a consideration, whether it be a man or a woman, but the primary is, are they biblically qualified? Have they demonstrated their faithfulness to Jesus and to our church? And then do we have equally qualified people? Then we would go, is one gender or another going to bring a better balance in the team we have. It's kind of the approach that we've taken to doing that. Yeah, for sure. And one of the things that I want to add to this question, because it does talk about the spouses, I don't know about the rest of the pastoral staff, you, Steve, and Perry, uh, but my wife, Chelsea, whenever I'm, I have these ideas and I'm like, man, I don't know exactly what direction to go, I'm a guy. So I can tend to plan events or do things that are more guy-oriented. Yes. Just my natural nature. So I, I go to her and I'm like, how can I make this to where it's it's equal across the board for both? So both 
guys and girls will have fun. So like the decisions Excellent. that I'm making, this isn't just me sitting. I am doing this with what I want to do. Yes, I am the leader, the main vision caster and the main vision carrier. But I still seek out guidance for my wife because she gives me a perspective that I will never be able to have. So that that's beautiful, Josh. And that demonstrates the intent of God in part behind gender. Yeah. As married couples, we need the input of both. In life and ministry, as a church, we need the input of both because together we are better with what we bring yeah. to the table. Yep. For sure. Absolutely. All righty. Let's go ahead. Let's dive into our next question. Another one. Okay. Are we going to take another left turn here or? Um, yes. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I, this is actually like a really cool one. I kind of like how this is broken down. Because okay. It, it's just hitting so many different things. Okay. And it really it helps us be able to answer any questions that people have. But it also shows that we are willing to go back and answer any questions okay. from right, any cool. point in the series. So, all right. Let's go into the next one. Knowing the church's stance on LGBTQ, what is the church's position on having openly LGBTQ members serving in ministries, including the worship team, kids ministry, the welcome team, or any other or ministry slash team within yeah, okay. our church? Okay. Interestingly enough, one of the projects that our board of elders is working on is policies regarding this very thing. So I, I, there, there's a level of detail that it w- that I, I really can't go into now until we have made a decision together on what to do. However, there are certainly things that I can share for sure. One is that someone who was openly living the, the, the lifestyle um, would, would not be qualified to serve in any leadership capacity Um the senior leadership teams that I just mentioned, um, serving on the worship team, leading us in worship. Um, They also would not be qualified for serving in kids ministry. They wouldn't be qualified for serving in uh, a student ministry, anything with kids. Um, And that's because anybody serving that capacity needs to demonstrate a measure of godliness because they're being given a position of influence. And we would require anyone in that position to have their life conformed to basic Bible principles of Christian living. This simply being one of many that they would need to be. Now, we're not expecting perfection, right? Nobody meets the perfection standard, but there's a degree of conformity to basics on Christian living before anybody would be granted any level of influence over others. The interesting question, and it's one of the ones that we're wrestling with right now, because we want to take it seriously. We want to talk this through and not just make a arbitrary decision in the moment, but really think about it. And that is, when it comes to positions that don't have influence, um, and I want to I say this advisedly, given the fact that we want to send a message that our church is accepting of everyone, and remember the difference between accepting and approval, right? We've been very clear on the distinction between the two, but we, like Jesus, accept everyone. Knowing that many people in today's culture, want to test drive a church or even Christianity before they decide to make a commitment. Is it possible that someone in the scenario described in the question would have the opportunity to do something like a greeter? That's a a good question. Um, what standard do we have? Because if we're going to say, well, this one, absolutely not, then what are the understa- other standards for having a position where you, where you aren't given a position of teaching or influence in the church? We're not sure of the answer on that right now. We're not sure what it is, so we're wrestling with it, and I want people to know that we're taking it seriously, that we want to make sure that we are not approving, but that we are accepting um, and, and we're wrestling through those issues right now. Once that's done, however long that process takes, I would be able to report more. But right now, there are 
definite lines on influence, yeah. teaching, next generation. It's not going to happen because it doesn't meet the godliness qualifications of anybody in that position. For other positions, I just, I can't speak to them right now. And, but when we've clarified that, I'll be able to. Yeah, for sure. And then also, like I do want to add, because whenever we did this message, um, we we talked about the other things of the sexual sin. Mm-hmm. And this one very much focuses on LGBTQ, but like the same way of like um, adultery Absolutely. Or, or, or watching pornography or um, uh, hookup culture, participating Absolutely, in hookup culture. Josh. Like that, that falls into the same category. It falls into the same category. So, As would things like drunkenness yeah. as with things like being greedy and materialistic add with things by being a divisive person the bible has a long list yeah. of things For that sure. are like these are basic christian things that need to be in alignment we're not singling these out yeah. we're simply including these in on the list that they are included in as far as that standard of are, are have you reached the level of godliness that you should be given any yeah. position of influence absolutely and we and we do our absolute best to to <laughs> Hold ourselves and our volunteers accountable, accountable. to right. the biblical standards that are set for them. So, absolutely, thank you for tackling that. Yeah, and indeed. Whenever we finish with this whole process, um, Dave, when you finish that with the elders and go, this is yep. the the wording and the verbiage and everything. Yep. Uh, we will make sure that we, we share it in one of these Q and As uh, here soon. Okay, cool. So awesome. Well, let's move on. What's up? This is the big. Wrap up question. This is very Ooh, wrap up question. Okay. Th- this one doesn't have to do anything with what we've done in the series. Okay. Well, it, at this point, it might in a few <clears throat> weeks we might talk about it a little bit more. Okay. This is kind of like a very hot button thing that's happening right now in America. Mm. That's happening in the Middle East. Oh, that's affecting sure. what's happening on college campuses, political governments uh, across the globe. It, it. There are people. If you go on YouTube and you type in. Are we in the end times? You'll see oh, okay. 800 different vertical videos oh, sure. of people's faces yeah. really close to a microphone <laughs> saying, we are in the end times. The Euphrates River. Blah, 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 blah. They'll say eight gazillion different <laughs> oh, things. No. And it just feels like everything is chaotic. Who do we listen to? Do the eight million all agree with each other, Josh? <laughs> If, if three of them agreed with each other, I would be I'd be shocked. Oh my! Um, that's an exaggeration, by the way. I'm, I'm not sure I haven't listened to every single one. Um, but with all that's going on in the Middle East, mm-hmm. and with all that's going on in Ukraine and Russia, just everything that's going on yes. in our world, Dave. Are we Here in the is. end times? Are we, no, <laughs> That's the is. question. Such, such a broad question. <laughs> with I already know how you're probably going to start this because how? You, what do you think I'm going to start? With? I think that you're going to say yes. Yep, that's it. The <laughs> because, is yes. because Jesus has Thanks already for died. Tuning in today. <laughs> there we go, my guys. <laughs> because because Jesus has already died. And he's promised to come back, and like so, we are yes in the end times. Um, but I know that this question is is probably derived more specific of are we actually in this period that is talked about um, in the tail end of the book of Luke. And, and, and in Thessalonians yeah. and, and in obviously yep. Revelation. So. Yeah, that's, and so w- we know the intent behind this, yes. right? Uh, because you're correct. Um, the, the, we, here's what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us that the end times, the last days, began at Pentecost, <laughs> which for those who, because I realized <laughs> Pentecost, um, um, it, after Jesus rose from the dead and then uh, he was here for 40 days, Showed himself to many, many people. Yeah. Taught. Then he ascended into heaven. Ten days after that, 50 days after he rose from the dead. Um, Pentecost 50. Uh, which is also coincided with a feast that was going on in Jerusalem. And there's a lot of cool stuff how that ties together. But uh, the Holy Spirit came in a different way. The Holy Spirit was always here. Yep. But it came in a different way to permanently indwell those who place their faith in Jesus. It began the church age. The church age and the last days are the same things. Peter said in uh, Acts chapter 2 that in the last days, the spirit would come and he would inhabit people. It's like, oh, so that's already happened. John in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 18 said, beloved, it is the final hour. But not just the last days. It's the final hour. Paul, in 1 Thessalonians 14, expected to be raptured. I'll talk about that in a minute. Well, I'll need to. 
In other words, he said, look, here's what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. All the those that are dead in Christ will be resurrected. And then Paul said, then we who are alive and remain will be caught. He says, I, he thought he was going to be alive yeah. when it happens. He thought it was the last days. So um, when, and you, you mentioned this, I think so accurately so. When, when people talk about the last days of the end times, I think this is what they almost always mean. Right before Jesus comes back, like the end times of the end times, yep. right? Are there signs of the times that like, oh, it's about to happen. Everybody here, it's about to happen. That's what we mean when we say that. So totally get it. It might be helpful uh, for us to give a timeline. And yes, there are different views, um, that we could talk about, but we probably won't in this Q&A. Right. Here's what I'm convinced, uh, along with many others. This is kind of a basic timeline, a prophetic timeline, a, a field of events, all right? Jesus first coming. That's already happened. Yep. Then, beginning of the church age, coming of the Holy Spirit. Um, then the church age ends with the rapture. The rapture is when believers in Jesus are caught up to be with God. That's what the word rapture means, caught up. The dead Christians are resurrected, boom, they're up, and then we, boom, dead are alive. <laughs> I think it'd be cool if I was living when it happened, right? Are caught. So it's like, boom, gone. The rapture then begins a seven-year period of time called the tribulation. Mm -hmm or the Great Tribulation. It's really divided into three and a half and three and a half. The first half, um, things on earth aren't too bad, uh, unless you happen to be a follower of Jesus, and yes, people do get saved in the Great Tribulation. Um, but the second half is when God's plagues begin coming down on earth for a variety of reasons, primarily get people to repent and acknowledge him. That seven-year Great Tribulation ends with the second coming of Jesus to earth. Mm -hmm. When he comes back to earth, he vanquishes evil and, and all that stuff, and he sets up a literal physical reign on earth that lasts for a thousand years. Yep. That's called the millennium thousand, right? Peace, prosperity. This is when Bible prophecies like the desert blooms, like the rose and, and the lion and the lamb lay down together and little children play with them, and it's like it's like the world was supposed to be is when you get right down to it. Uh, Satan is chained during this time. So he's not doing his work. And then at the end of the thousand years, he's loosed. There's a final rebellion. It's squashed. There's a final judgment. The universe is destroyed and a new heaven and new universe are created, which is actually where the righteous, the people who have placed their faith in Christ um, live forever and ever and ever on a new earth, not on a cloud with wings and a harp. Dang, that's no. what it was. Like, I remember thinking, boy, you know, that might beat the alternative, but what a boring existence. We live on earth in paradise with each other doing human sights. It's just amazing, okay? That's kind of the timeline. So between, so what characterizes the church age? Right, which and and the 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 next event is rapture. Jesus said in Matthew twenty four, amongst other places, I think Luke twenty one as well. He's, it's called the Olivet Discourse. He's talking to his disciples on the Mount of Olives, mm -hmm. and he's answering two questions. One question is, when will the temple be destroyed? Because he said, not one stone left on top of the other. Um, and also answering the question, what are the signs of the times when you return? Okay. He's answering both, and so knowing which question he's answering as you move through it is really important in interpretation. <clears throat> Here's what Jesus said would characterize the church age or the last days. He said, there will be wars, rumors of wars, kingdom against kingdom, nation against nation, famine, earthquake, martyrdom, persecution, false teachers, people defecting from the faith probably some more that I'm forgetting, but all that stuff that happened. Jesus said these words in the present tense. Here's what he meant. These things are going to happen and happen 
and happen again and again and again. It's going to be the rule of the church age. Because Jesus says, when all these things happen, the end is not yet. You know what they are signs of? That the world is fallen and broken and this is the way that it works. Then that characterizes the church age. So whenever you see cataclysmic events, it's not a special sign that something's about to happen. Jesus said, when it comes to like right on the verge of the rapture happening, you know what signs there will be? None. Here's what he said. He said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. People will eat and drink and they will marry and they'll be given in marriage. And then he goes, until the day that Noah went into the ark um, and they didn't understand what was going on. And it's like, even though somebody was preaching for 120 years, like Noah did, they were completely unready. They were oblivious to what was about to happen until it came. And at that point for them, it was too late. He said, it's like this. Two men are going to be out working in the field. Two women are going to be grinding corn to make bread. One taken, the other left. One taken, the other left. He said it's going to be like a thief in the night. There's no warning when a thief comes in the night. It just happens without warning. That's what the rapture will be like, which is why Jesus said, be ready. Because in, a, in, in an hour, you, you don't expect this is going to happen. So always be ready. Could Jesus come back today? Absolutely. Could he come back 10 years from now? 100 years from now? 1,000 years from now? We don't know. But whatever period of time there is between now and then, all these things are going to keep happening. So always be. It's intended to give us as Christians a sense of urgency that we don't know the time we have left. So let's be serious about advancing the Christian mission in the lives of people. So that's what that's, what that's, that's all about. Um, so now we look at the Middle East. Is it a special sign? Nope. Is what's happening in Ukraine a special sign? Nope. These are the things that happen in the last days and in the church age. So, and let's, let's, let's be honest about it. What's happening there could radically change what's going on in the world. Absolutely. Um, could it lead to a world war? It could. It's, it is an explosive situation. The stakes are incredibly high. We pray that won't happen. Pray that that won't happen. It could dramatically change the landscape of everything. And we need to recognize that and take it seriously and be praying about it and pray for our leaders as they make decisions about it. Um, we need to capitalize on these times when people are wondering to share the good news about Jesus. And there's an unshakable kingdom, the kingdom of God. And, and we can have purpose and power in this life and, and be guaranteed that, to be with him forever. Uh, but it is a particular sign that the rapture is about to happen. It's not that, even though the rapture could. There is a super brief overview, Josh, of yeah, how I would approach it. Absolutely. Uh, one of the verses that I really like that that's uh, I had to I had to go pull it up just to make sure I was yeah, cool. the right point. Um, is Second Peter three nine kind of talking a little bit about this? Um, it talks about how the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, um, as some count slowness, but He's patient towards you, towards us, yeah. not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Yeah. yeah. So we might be going, all right, God, can you, Jesus, like, let's talk. <laughs> Let's come back now. <laughs> this is crazy. Mm-hmm. But Jesus is really, he's just standing there and, and he's like, I want as many people to come. Yes. Like, like you might think it's slow, but I'm on a whole different time than you're on. And I oh, want sure. everybody to be uh, in eternity with me. Yes. So, so yeah, the patience, uh, as grieved as we can be over things happening in the world, God is infinitely more grieved. And yet in that grief is patience, patience, because he longs, Josh, just like the verse you quoted, for people to come to know him in a saving way. Yeah, and it's it's incredible to think about because he is the creator of everything. And then we're the ones that he created that are messing up his design, yeah. yet he still shows so much compassion. Yes. Like, I, I don't know about you, but when I was younger, I had Legos, and I was the one that put them all together. My brother would destroy them, and <laughs> I, would, I would be so mad. And, and just to think, like, 
I do something on a much greater scale mm. of distorting God's perfect design yeah. with my sin. Yeah. Um, yet God still shows compassion and grace and love. <laughs> and, and every day when I think about that, I'm like, man, like we, like we really do not deserve yeah, any of this. So true. That's a beautiful analogy right yeah. on point, Josh. So um, I also do want to say, you know, I, I love talking about this topic. Um, this is a topic that I'm learning more about every single day. Cool. Um, because I wasn't taught much about it. A uh, cool thing about the Revelation, okay. it's the only book in the Bible that blesses you for reading yeah. it. So that's a really well, cool Well, it's not the only well, blessed that... <laughs> it, yes, but it does It does say in Revelation that like yes, this book will bring blessings does. for reading it. The other books don't specifically say that, but they all bring blessings. That's correct. Should have clarified on that one. Um if you guys are interested in more of these types of questions, especially having to do with the end times, you can submit your questions at my3c.org. Um, if there's a lot of them that come in, I'd imagine we'd probably do a special Q&A where we're really diving into just this one. That's, yeah, we could um, certainly do that, Josh. So, and we're also in discussion now in the teaching calendar for this coming year. Yeah. This is a subject that might be healthy for us to address. So, for sure, yeah. for sure. So if you have any questions about the end times that we just talked about or anything that we've done in our deconstruction series or, or, or really anything at all, we are here to help you. We're not yeah. afraid of your questions. You can submit those at my3c.org. You can go to uh, the, right at the top. There's a submit a question thing. You go there. It's totally anonymous. We have no idea who it is. If you want us to know that it's you in case you're like, oh, I want you to get back to me about this so we can specifically have a conversation, all you got to do is put your name in there, yeah. put your email in there, and we'll be able to get to you. Uh, but it doesn't ask or require any of that. It'll literally just pop up as a as a text box where you can type in whatever you want, hit submit a question, we'll have no idea to you if you don't want to. Yep, that's right. So we really encourage you to do that. These are possible because of your questions um, that you have asked. Dave, thank you so much for being here. My Taking pleasure, time Josh. out of this again, everybody. Thank you for submitting your questions. Um, we cannot wait to see you next Sunday where we'll be, we will be continuing our deconstruction right. series after our Sela, Sela, after our little bit of a rest. Um, can you give a little bit of a teaser of what you're talking about? Yes. We're the, the question we're going to be answering is, is Christianity at odds with science? Mm. That's going to be good. I think it'll be fun. That's going to be good. I'm excited for it. I'm excited for this whole series. This series has been really cool. Cool. So, well, we will see you guys this upcoming Sunday. Uh, remember, our live stream service is at 940, yeah. uh, but we also have two other in-person services along with the 940 at 820 and 11 o'clock. Um, and then we have our post show directly following our 940 service. Have a fantastic week, yeah. and we can't wait to see you on Sunday. Yeah.